Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. For our 26th episode, we're going to get a wake-up call. Hopefully by now we all recognize the enormous toll that the pandemic has had on our nation. But when we think about the impact of COVID-19, it's most often in terms of the massive numbers of hospitalizations and more than 11,000 deaths that we have seen in Arkansas. Now, don't get me wrong, the hospitalizations and deaths are a critical part of what will be one of the darkest times in our history. But what we often overlook about the impact of COVID-19 is the toll that it has had on our mental health and well-being. Now, according to a Kaiser Family Foundation report, about 4 in 10 adults in the United States reported symptoms of anxiety or depression during the first year of the pandemic, and that's up from 1 in 10 the previous year. Their polling from early in the pandemic found that many adults were reporting specific negative impacts due to worry and stress. 36% reported difficulty sleeping, 32% reported difficulty eating, 12% reported increases in alcohol consumption or substance use, and 12% reported worsening chronic conditions. And mental health challenges particularly affected parents and their children, I, I know that to be the case, who experienced disruption with school transitions and childcare, communities of color who already had barriers accessing mental health care, and essential workers who were much more likely to report suicidal thoughts during the pandemic. And these stressors have led to increased violence in the home targeting children or intimate partners and in our communities across the state, not just Little Rock, where gun violence is intensifying and road rage incidents are spiking. While Congress has addressed some of the acute need for mental health services through stimulus bills enacted through the pandemic, it is hard to tell from where I sit whether that funding has been effective at stemming the tide of mental illness that we face as a nation. So, here to hopefully answer that question and many others that I have in store is Dr. Sasha McBain, who is a clinical psychologist and assistant professor at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, or UAMS where she serves as the Associate Director of the Center for Trauma Prevention, Recovery, and Innovation. She received her Master's in Psychology and Doctorate in Clinical Psychology at Palo Alto University in California and completed her pre-doctoral internship at UAMS and her postdoctoral fellowship in Clinical Psychology and Implementation Science at the Department of Veterans Affairs. So, welcome to the show, Dr. McBain, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So before we get to all this serious stuff, I want to know what keeps you busy when you're not working. I try to actively not be busy when I am not working. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good goal, right? So I, I'm a total TV and movie buff. Yeah. I love, you know, as a psychologist, I love piecing apart like what's happening in a scene and uh. I'm the person reading the Reddit feeds, you know, like <laughs> unpacking it. 
Yeah, my friends and I, every holiday season, we do like uh, 30 days of horror. And oh, we gosh. each you know, have to pick within themes of movies. And then we, we debrief on the weekends. So that I love to do that. So I'm definitely like high leisure All right, when so, I'm not at work. So what are you binging on right now? My next show that I'm going into, my husband is out of town. And we have a very strict rule where we can't start oh, new shows without I each other. You. Same. So our next go-to is going to be Severance ah. on Apple TV. I don't know if you've heard about that. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, and I'm waiting for the new episode to come out. Okay, worth right a watch. As we speak. Oh, absolutely. Okay, that's my next one then. We're kind of at the denouement, right, in that in that whole series right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it actually comes out today. So. I'm excited. All right. So um, now I asked this of all of our wonky guests. What would you say is your theme song? My theme song right now, I don't, I think for me it's moments and seasons okay. and what kind of music or is, you know, I'm feeling in the moment. And I think my my song for right now is um, Never Be Another You by Lee Fields and the Expressions. Okay. I don't know that one. That's the first that I it's have great. not heard. It's um, great. And it, there's a line or there's some lines in it that say, um, there will never be another you. You're one of a kind. Oh, baby, it's good to know that we're in this together, all we've been through. Oh, baby, it's good to know that we in this together. All we've been through, all we're going through, and all we will go through. And I think that for COVID for me and for many other people, we've been really forced to kind of look at truly what is important to us. Um, And I've I've invested a lot of time and energy into my career and I still love and it's very deeply important to me, my work. Um, But it's also really important for me to spend time with my friends and family. There's never going to be another them. And so Soaking up as much time with them and, and quality time is, you know, what my theme is right now. That's a great, great mantra to go by right now. Yeah. All right. So um, so tell us about your role as the associate director for the Center for Trauma Prevention, Recovery and Innovation. My primary role within um, the center has really focused on leading uh, efforts to increase integration of mental health services in non-mental health okay. areas, especially uh, acute and critical care. And so what that looks like is I spearheaded development of a trauma surgery psychology consult service. So I spend most of my time up on our um, trauma service, on our medical floors, our medical surgical units, our intensive care units, mm-hmm. doing brief screening and intervention for those who have been admitted after a traumatic injury. Yeah. Because well, they're going to experience psychosocial stress, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. One in three patients who experience an injury, whether it's an assault, a car accident, a fall, will experience some post-injury mental health um, problems like depression or post-traumatic stress uh-huh. disorder. And so my goal is how do I get to people faster to help with their recovery and to get them on that path of wellness while they're still in the hospital because we know a lot of those people will go back into their communities and not have access to resources or even know how to address symptoms that might be coming up. So that's most of my time. I also do a day a week of outpatient um, post-traumatic stress disorder treatment. So I kind of do more traditional outpatient Mm -hmm. therapy one day a week. And then I do a ton of consultation and training um, within UAMS and Mm -hmm. other areas as well. 
Great, great. So, um, so I mentioned the impact of COVID nineteen in the intro. We we can't stop talking about it, right? But all I have at my disposal is is just the stats. What's your perspective uh, on its impact from a clinical standpoint? I think you're exactly right that COVID-19 has had an impact on every area of our lives. Um, regardless on of your stance on pand- any pandemic-related issue, yeah. you've been impacted by it. You're thinking about it. Um, and I think that that's caused a lot of stress and people are really tired and they're really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there is the experience of people who have a formal mental health diagnosis as a result of stress experienced via the pandemic mm-hmm. or have increases in symptoms. There's the people who have been directly impacted by this the virus, those right. who have survived or those who yeah. have lost loved ones, um, and those who have just been living in the world alongside the pandemic. Um, and I think what COVID has really clarified for us in the U.S. and I think globally, too, is that we had major shortcomings in our healthcare system and especially our mental health care system. Um, and we've been we've had to really deeply confront and oftentimes have been affronted yeah. <laughs> by <laughs> the realities of that and yeah. really thinking about what what this means. Um, you know, we've been kind of forced to stare into the sun of these kind of systemic problems that we've been having in our in our society and community. And that takes a toll on people. Yeah to be kind of thinking at this existential level like that people aren't always used to or having time to do, then they're just trying to survive their daily lives. It's like this fork in the road, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're either going to embrace the fact that we have these issues or we're going to run from it. Yeah. And, and either way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be disruptive. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, that it's such a parallel process when somebody experiences an individual trauma, there is that same fork. Am I going to acknowledge and address how this is impacting me or am I going to try and avoid this as much as I can and what we know is that when we avoid we prolong suffering Mm -hmm. ultimately Um, and I think that that is happening in some ways like at every level as an individual as a community as a society where we're like can we just be done with this can we just not talk about this can we go back to quote-unquote normal 2019 BC before COVID (laughs) you know it's just not healthy yeah it's just not healthy yeah yeah so um a lot of people transitioned to receiving mental health services online during during the pandemic. So did you see this in your practice and, and what's your take on its potential over time? Yeah. So I still see all of my patients via telehealth, oh, wow. um, which has been really great because just in our clinic and Walker Family Clinic alone, our no-show rates have dropped ext- wow. like into the single digits or you know low teens because... Yeah. Those barriers that get in the way of somebody coming to, you know, a midday appointment have yeah. really drastically been changed. Um, I think working with traumatically injured patients specifically, um, many, you know, lose their primary source of transportation. You know, they were in a car accident. And that's why they're coming to see me. And uh-huh. so not having to overcome that transportation barrier right. or changes in physical functioning, um, changes in vision or other things that make it hard to get to places, those have those barriers have been reduced. So people are getting access to the care that they want and that they need in a different way. I think we should absolutely continue to support telemental health services. And we know that research has demonstrated that these services are just as effective Mm -hmm. when they're provided via telehealth. I've seen patients over the last two years that I never once met in person. 
and we treated their PTSD and they no longer meet, you know, diagnostic criteria for a disorder. Wow. So it can work. Good, good. So you mentioned some of the barriers just a minute ago, but we know that Arkansans struggle with access to mental health services. It's just, it's that's yeah. the way it's been, right? What would you say are the three three major barriers? And I know you can name more than that. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> um, I think the big ar- overarching ones that if we don't fix, it's going to not change the, you know, all the others that fall under it. Um, adequate insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, availability of services, both in the terms of the number of mental health professionals in a given regional area. Mm-hmm. Um but also within that pool of people who are available to you, those who have specialty in what you actually need mm-hmm. uh, services for. Um, so I think amount, you know, having coverage to access it, what you can access when you actually get through that first barrier, and then mental health stigma. It's huge in Arkansas. It's yeah. still a really big deal. And so if you're bumping bumping up against high stigma and then a system that is really difficult to navigate, you're not going to withstand those barriers to get to get care. Right. Would, would you say that this is more of a follow up question and com- combining the previous two questions? Would you say that tele access via telehealth has reduced that, not reduced the stigma, but reduced that as a barrier? I think so, because I think um, there's a difference in Having to walk into a clinic and sit in a waiting room Mm -hmm. and, you know, be around other people, expose yourself, hear somebody yell out your name, or hopefully they're not yelling it, but (laughs) saying very nicely, like, come back to the office, the long hall walk, you know, so there's, there are things that I make it, that make it more difficult that I think that telehealth can, can overcome. And it also in your mind gives you less of an excuse to be like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's a 20 minute drive and I can't do one o'clock. I got to get back, you know? So I think it does reduce some of those barriers. Good. So I I talked a little bit about the funding uh, in the intro that particularly the federal government has, has thrown our way. Mm -hmm. If there were three things that states and localities could do with all of that funding that they've received, what would you suggest that they do in the mental health space? I would love to see continued expansion and support for AR Connect, which is a grant-funded telemental health service that provides free, brief intervention to anyone in the state of Arkansas. Okay. Um, It's an amazing resource that's really been able to provide people with services who may not otherwise access them and who would want them, mm-hmm. especially in the early days and weeks following a traumatic event. Um, there's so much potential for something like AR Connect where people call in, they talk to a nurse briefly, they answer a couple questions, see if there's a crisis, and then within a few days they get connected with a therapist and can start working with them right away. There's also psychiatry services if somebody wanted to try medication. And so I think that there's a lot of ways that that could be deployed um, following natural disasters, Mm -hmm. even just thinking about recently with the tornadoes and storms, mass shootings, you know, having things available where people can access services as they need would really make a difference in terms of individual mental health, but also I think the public health approach to mental health in Arkansas. So so that's AR Connect for those of you sitting in the back row. Yes. (laughs) 501-526- Three five six three. There you go. <laughs> um, 
The second thing I would say is increased funding for integration of mental health services into primary care and other medical specialty settings, especially acute rehab. Um, Mental health concerns are a part of COVID-19 survivorship, and it's a reciprocal relationship between the physical implications of COVID long haulers, Mm -hmm. cognitive changes, fatigue, adjustment to illness. But then, you know, of course, all the other mental health related experiences, the depression, the anxiety, making sense of um, a traumatic hospital stay. We don't right now have enough resources, staff or knowledge to help our Kansans who are suffering with COVID. Mm. Even already, the people, you know, that we're seeing in our clinic are like, you know, I went to Mayo Clinic and they told me they there is nothing they could do for me to wow. like help me with managing my stress. or, And so I think being able to really integrate those services along the trajectory and continuum of care that COVID survivors are going through yeah. and following them and being able to integrate health and Mental health is going to be a really worthy endeavor for us long term. The third thing would be um, more training and incentives for mental health professionals in any setting, outpatient, inpatient, whatever it might be, um, to be trained in trauma-focused treatments um, with a particular emphasis on medical traumatic stressors. How do we deal with um, chronic pain that's tied up in somebody's trauma history? How do we help with adjustment to illness? How do we help somebody make sense of being intubated and sedated in an intensive care unit? Um, Our best has done a really wonderful job. Um, it's a UAMS um, program and has some state funding as well. They've really made efforts to train local communities in treating traumatic stress um, among children and the protocols that we know work really well, and they've expanded that to some adult treatment. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that further expanded through funding to be able to really equip community therapists with the skills that they want and they need to treat these populations. Yeah, yeah. All these all these municipalities and counties and the state itself they need to they need to get mental health in the in the mix yes. when they start doling out these funds. Mm-hmm. Um. You you mentioned this a little bit. Um, do you ever see a time when mental health is fully integrated into primary care? I hope so. I really do. And I hope that not just primary care, but medical specialties as well. Um, high-risk settings like where I work in med- a medical surgical unit, an intensive care unit, an emergency department – I my dream would be to have for every specialty team have an embedded psychologist yeah. or um, mental health professional as part of that team. Hopefully, more than one. It's very overwhelming to be the only <laughs> one, um, but I think that would that would be that would be my dream. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to detour just a little bit because um, this is just an interest of mine. What if any connection is there between social media use and mental health? Oh, social media. Um, I think there, you know, there's been multiple studies, systemic, um, systematic, excuse me, reviews on the impact of social media on mental health. We know that it's related to high use of social media related to depression, anxiety, insomnia, um, so we, we know that there's research out there to say that there is a potential 
direct link between social media use and mental health concerns. Um, if you haven't become familiar with the term doom scrolling by now, (laughs) I commend you. (laughs) So even if we're not talking about like formal mental health diagnoses, like there are, there are real impacts of social media use and it's changing the, the fabric of how we engage with each other, how we think about ourselves, how we think about other people. Um, I have a very dystopian personal view on social media, (laughs) but I do think that there are parts of it that can be really helpful. Uh And I think we're at this point where, you know, I recently got off Instagram, which was like my source of like finding out about community events Mm -hmm. and where my favorite food truck, El Sur, was. Um, (laughs) And so there's that disconnection too of Mm -hmm. like that missing out or not you know how knowing how to plug into the in-person parts of life because so much of it is filtered through social media um i've always i've always thought about it in this way i've you know social media has allowed me to connect to people across the globe yes right that i've who i've met on occasion and you know i can talk to to a person in the Philippines, right? Yeah. Who I would probably never see ever again in person, which is great. Yeah. But then at the same time, I won't I won't go across the street to to meet my neighbor. You yeah. Know? And that's that's problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that community engagement and that's that's a very important point. Mm-hmm. Um. So what are some near term policy changes, whether state or federal, that you'd like to see? I would love to see national licensure for mental health professionals. Mm. Right now it's Mm state-based, which um, comes up often when we have patients who are from Texarkana, Mm. Texas side, you know, and that just seems like such an arbitrary delineation in terms of being able to provide somebody with the services that they need. And so I would love to see that. And along with that, a really drastic overhaul in insurance reimbursement for mental health services. Um, the current reimbursement process is absolutely abysmal. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of people talking about the impact of that during COVID, especially as wait, li- uh, wait lists and demands for treatment get higher and higher, yet the reimbursement for services isn't changing. Yeah. And really, it it pushes therapists out of, good therapists out of the field who don't have the bandwidth or capacity and can't survive waiting for insurance mm-hmm. to to reimburse them. And so I think that that drastically um, needs to change. Yeah. And it, I mean, too, it makes sense about, and I, I hate to say this, but it, it's, you got to say it, right? So if you change the reimbursement structure, the more likely it is going to be integrated into primary and specialty care teams because mm-hmm. it becomes more lucrative at that point as well. It's not just a good policy choice, but you got to you got to align the incentives and yeah. it seems like that would that would make it easier. Yeah, and if not one of the things that we talk a lot about now in terms of integrated care um in inpatient hospital medical hospital settings is the idea of value-based care. You know, mm-hmm. my um my billing does not touch what my trauma surgeon colleagues billing does, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Um, but I know that or literature and data is starting to show us that my presence on that unit 
might help somebody leave the hospital faster Mm -hmm. because they're engaging with physical therapy. They're able to engage with the services they need. They're addressing their mental health symptoms, which we know is related to one-year post-injury disability, return Mm -hmm. to work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a value-based care of how do we move away from focusing just on mortality and morbidity when it comes to health and really thinking about health-related quality of life. Mm -hmm. And psychology and mental health helps with that. And that should be a value of ours. Absolutely. So my final question for you, and you're still early in your career, so but you've, I'm sure you've got wonderful things you can talk about. So when you look back on your career just thus far, right, what are you most proud of? I am, I'm most proud of the individual direct impact I've been able to make in people's lives. Yeah. Um, that's what keeps me going through the stress of insurance and billing <laughs> and documentation and all of the struggles is um, – really being able to help be a container for somebody's suffering Mm -hmm. and help them heal. Um, That, you know, that's what all makes it worth it for me. I think, too, being able to advocate and talk about the importance of psychology and kind of go on the new frontier of, like, we need to be in these spaces. And that takes, you know... I was a sh- I was a shy kid, you know. It takes a lot to kind of be like, here I am. Here's yeah. what I can offer. Like, are you willing to accept it? So I'm proud of that. Coming out of the dark, we got to get it out of the dark, <laughs> right? But thank you so much for joining us and sharing today, Dr. McBain. I I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Walks at Work. You can listen to our biweekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System, for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.